Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Kevin Kelts. Awesome. Well, happy, happy Mother's Day to all the, the moms out there this morning and the, and the uh, congregation and then uh, out there watching live on our, our Facebook feed this morning. Um, you know, as we were just in worship, I was thinking about Mother's Day. I was thinking about um, my mom. I was thinking about what I'm going to be talking about today. And, you know, I've been really blessed to have strong women in my life. Um, Recently, one of those strong women, uh, my grandmother, she passed away last month. And I I have so, so much of who I am is due to her life and and how she was a part of helping to raise me. I, I lived just a, a couple houses down from her house, and so, you know, uh, I saw her so much and was in her house so much. And, and when I was preparing to, to speak at the funeral service, I was just thinking about all the, the notes that she sent me. And, and every day when I was in high school, instead of going to the the lunchroom, I would, I would be released, and, um, and I would drive to there, my, my grandfather and my grandmother's house, and, um, and she would either cook for me a home-cooked meal, or she, if she wasn't there, she'd have something that I could heat up, and she would leave me a note, and every one of the notes had a scripture, started with a scripture, and, um, and then it just was speaking life into me. You know, this is what God says about you, Kevin, and you just need to remember that God loves you. And they were just so awesome. Well, she kept every one of those notes, and then she made a this book for me that she gave to me at my graduation, and it was just huge. In my whole life, she's sent me letters and just amazing. And as I was preparing for her her service, um, I started to go through some memories and. And some of her friends, I've performed their, their funeral services. And, and so I was looking through the, some of the notes that I had written, some of the stories. And, and like I say, it's Mother's Day, and another very strong woman in the faith in my life. I grew up, my first pastor was a woman, and her name was Sister Edna Dillard. And she was a firecracker. She was about four foot eleven. And, buddy, I'm telling you, she could preach. She would get all, I mean, pumped up and just, she was a firecracker. And, and one of the stories I remember, my, my grandmother was at this service, and so was my grandfather. Uh, my mom and dad were both there. Um, and, and I remember because my grandmother, when I was preparing for this other guy's funeral, my grandmother told me this story. So, Sister Edna Dillard, she she was she had a heart for all types of people, especially the people that nobody cared for, the undesirables. And there was this lady who lived in the the same town that was kind of well, she was very poor, 
and uh, she had an alcoholic husband that everybody didn't like. He was just a really mean guy who would beat her up a lot, and they had a couple kids. They were, they were young, and, and she would go every day, and she would just pour into this young girl's life and just love on her, and, and she would invite her, come, come to church. Let us love on you this Sunday. And she, this, this young lady would say, no, I can't. My husband won't let me. Well, this goes on and on for several months, and, and, and daily, Sister Dillard is going and seeing her. When um, finally, to Sister Dillard's shock, the young lady shows up on a Sunday night service, and she's just so excited. Well, Sister Dillard preaches, and at the end of the service, she gives an altar call, and the young lady answers the altar call. And she says, I'd like everybody to come down, and let's just pray for her. And so everybody comes down and, and is praying when all of a sudden her husband, drunk, comes in the back. And he's yelling, and he's cursing, and he comes all the way, and he grabs her by the arm, and he jerks her, and he says, you're coming home with me right now. Well, he was wearing a big black cowboy hat, and they say the Sister Dillard grabbed a chair, stepped up on it, because that's she needed to get, she was very short, and she knocked his hat off. And she said, you don't ever come into the house of God again with a hat on. And it shocked him. She said, she's staying here. You don't have any authority in this house. Well, he didn't like that. So he stepped in, and she said, buddy, take one more step, and you're not going to like what happens next. Well, he kind of thought about it for a second, and he took another step. Well, that's when her son, who would be about my age, and uh, my best friend's grandfather, who would be probably about in his 50s, they were the, I guess, the ushers, you would say. They <laughs> grabbed him by the arm, and they said, you don't want to take another step. And he said he took another step. So <laughs> they, they took him, drug him out, kicking and screaming, and they kicked his butt. They beat him up really bad in front of the church, right? Well, the young lady was, was uh, very thankful to feel safe and that people loved her. Um, somebody drove by and saw these two guys from the church hitting on this guy. They called the police. The police show up to the church and end up resting when they hear the whole story. They end up arresting the other guy for public intoxication, and he spends the night in the, in the big house that night, right? Well, the next morning, when he's sober, Sister Dillard shows up to the, to the jailhouse, and she just talks to him when he's in his right mind, and he ended up giving his life to the Lord that morning. And it was just a really amazing, cool story for me to hear as a, as a young pastor when I was talking to my, my grandmother. And so I remember growing up in a culture of church where women were pretty much tolerated and not celebrated. And I don't know if you ever knew of this culture, um, but I want to talk to you a little bit about that today on Mother's Day. And I want to tell you kind of where that came from, because maybe sometimes this is some things that we've been going through this year when in reading the scripture and getting proper context and seeing, because guys, listen, you will see 
you will find what you're looking for. If you already have some type of concept in reading the Bible, and you're not open-minded to see what's already there, but you already think you know what's there, you'll find what you're looking for. So I'm telling you right now, if you think women are less than, you can read the Bible, and I'm, we're going to go through every part of the Scripture this morning where people have used Scripture to tear down women and make them feel less than, and I'm going to show you how that's not the truth. But if you already think that, I guarantee you, you can find it, take those out of context, and then you can use the Word of God, the Bible, to tear down women. You can use it as a weapon. And that was never God's intention. You know, I heard a story about one time uh, this mom was teaching her daughter a family recipe about how to make this baked ham that their family was kind of famous for. And so they would have to follow this recipe very carefully because it was so good. So first thing they would do is they would prepare the special family marinade, and then they would score the ham, and then they would put cloves on it. And then they came to this final step that the daughter who was being taught didn't understand. They would cut off both of the ends of the ham. They would put it in the pan, and all of a sudden, the daughter says, Mom, Mom, just a second. Understand everything that we just did until this point. Why do we cut off both ends of the hand? And the mom thought for a second. She said, you know, I really don't know why we do that. Let's, you know, that this was taught to me by my mom, so let's call grandma. So they called grandma, and they said, hey, listen, I want to know. I'm teaching my daughter right now how to make the family, the famous family ham. Why do we cut off bones and ends of ham? You know, is it, is it so that... Uh, we can allow the marinade to go into the ham because maybe it would dry out because of the marinade. And the mom that she's talking to says, no, I actually, when it was taught to me, I'm the one that added the marinade step because I thought when we cut off both ends of the ham, that would make it dry out. I actually don't know why we, we do that step. And the thing was, is the great grandma was still alive. And they said, well, let's call her. And so they called her. And they explain the whole thing. And they say, hey, great-grandma, why do we cut off when we're doing the family ham? Why do we cut off both ends of ham? And she said, land sakes, are y'all still doing that? The only reason we did that is because we were so poor and we had such a small pan, I had to cut off both ends of the ham to fit that into the, into the pan. And so there's a lot of things, guys, that we have, we have done in our lives where even in, 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 as far as religious beliefs that have happened to us in the same way, we, we mimic what we've heard and we repeat what we've been taught without question. Why, why don't we question what we've heard? And why don't we question what we've been taught? Well, it's because in most cases, we've been taught by good, loving, kind, sincere, honest, decent, and moral, upstanding people. They're the people that represent authority in our life. They're the people that we have trusted all of our lives. And those people, guess what? In the same way they were taught by the people that they trusted and that they loved so much, and so beliefs and practices continue to be passed down without question through generation to generation to generation. And my experiences, and I can tell you this from years in the ministry now, is that there are so many people that came to their belief systems and they never questioned them, and they have belief systems about, the, about Father God. 
And, and the way that we have a belief system about God, it, it sets how we live our lives. It sets how we believe about ourselves. It sets how we treat other people. If we have a belief system that women are less than, I have three daughters that I'm, that I'm raising right now. I'm married to a woman. If, if I have a belief system that women are less than, do you think if I have a belief system that God set up everything that women are less than, do you think that that's going to set the bar for how I treat my wife? and how I raise my daughters? And do you think, in turn, that's how it's going to set their self-worth and how my, my son is going to treat women and how just things are and how things go? And for so long, this is the way that has happened for so many people until one day, just like in this story, this one girl stands up and says, Mom, but why? <laughs> but why do we do that? And, and at points in my life, guys, I have come to the, the, the place where I have said, but why do we believe that? Why do we think that way? Because that just doesn't make any sense. You know, my mom, or let me, let me just speak a little bit about my grandmother and also my first pastor, Sister Dillard. She grew up in a system where they didn't believe that women could be pastors. Because that would put a woman in authority over a man. And in God's system, they believed scripturally that was upside down. God would never allow that, so she couldn't do that. And so until one day, she went ahead and started her own church, and it was thriving, it was doing great, and they wouldn't acknowledge her as a pastor. And, and, and then one day, she went and talked to her husband, he was a very successful landowner and uh, had lots of, of um, he, he was a farmer and he was a rancher, and very successful rancher, had lots of land. And she, she went to him and said, I feel like God has put it on my heart, and I want you to pray about this, but there's a lot of land that I feel like God is telling us to give to this, this group of churches, and they need a place for the youth to have a camp. And I, I feel like we're supposed to just gift it to them. And even though they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even look at her as an equal and ever acknowledge her as a pastor, she went ahead and they did that. And they still wouldn't acknowledge her as a pastor. And they would show up. And I remember we would go to the district meetings and all the men, the, pa the pastors, were, they would set up on this pedestal up on the stage, and she would have to sit with all the congregation when she was one of them. She was a leader, but they just would not acknowledge those things, and she never let it get, get her down. She never, and, and here I was hearing one thing from this group of people, but seeing her live out another thing, and it got me to start questioning things. It's got me to start questioning how my mom was a leader in the community, and she was a leader um, in, in our church. And, and I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. Like, why does she have these leadership skills if God never called her to use these? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me, that God thinks that she's not 
equal to my dad, but somehow she's gifted with all of these leadership abilities. And so I asked all these questions and and I went on this journey, and let me take you through a quick journey on Mother's Day and lift up all the ladies today to tell you that you are awesome, that God never, ever, ever thought of you as less than. He never set a bar and put men up here and women down here. God loves you so much and has such an awesome destiny for your life. So let's look at some of the trouble verses that are related to women, and let's start to go through them this morning. So First, let's start off in as far as the journey of the Bible with the first woman. You know, considering uh, women in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, we find Eve. And, and she is called Adam's helpmeet. And when you start to study this, you will uh, start to see the definition simply here is if you're taking notes, write this down is an equal position. So in the beginning, God sets man and woman as equals. Everybody say equals. But then the fall happened, and that's where all of a sudden the church wanted to take things and take it in a different direction, and it gets to this point where as a result of the fall, there was this curse, and Eve says, you know, we find it in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. In other words, her desire will be to be equal to her husband, but he is going to rule over her. That's how it was taught to me. And it's important to note that this curse was in the relationship between men and women, not between women and God. Not that God all of a sudden was looking at women as less than. The curse did not change her standing before God. God did not all of a sudden view her as lower than men. But as a result of the curse, men started to view her that way. Are you picking up what I'm laying down right there? Men are the ones that started to view them. That's the curse. This is the subtle difference, but it's important to realize that the curse affected human relationships between men and women, not human relationships between women and God. To have this concept that God is not for women in leadership or women in ministry or that women are less than, it starts to break apart just as you go through the Old Testament because you will find in this, even in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, you'll find that Miriam, the sister of Moses, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, she was a prophet. Even way back then, you'll find that the Huldah was named as a prophet in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 14. You'll find that Deborah was both a judge, which is a senior political leader in the nation, and she was a prophet. You'll find that in Judges chapter 4, verse 4. So you see, even in the Old Testament system, we're in the New Covenant. This is way back in the Old Covenant. Even back then, God appointed women as high-level spiritual political leaders. That says something about how God sees women and whether or not as he sees them equal to women, uh, equal to men, and if he sees if they can hold a leadership position. We find a f- small example of the difference between God's ideal and men's idea of when we go to the story of Noah. Y'all remember Noah and the ark? right? And so when Noah had his family enter the ark, you can go and read this story in the book of Genesis, he has them the way that the curse was set forth. 
how men started to see their relationship with women, he had the men go first. It was him, it was his three sons, and then his wife, and their, his son's wives, they got to proceed. That was in Genesis chapter 7, verse 13. The men preceded the women. That's the way that the world was at that time. That's how Noah wanted it to be. However, while they're on the earth, ark, God specifically talked to Noah about how they are supposed to walk out of the ark. It's in Genesis chapter 8, verse 16. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He said this to Noah, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. He told them to go out as couples together, as equals right? Not separately, not separated genders. This is how God wanted to restart the planet. Equality. Everybody say equality. Okay? Equality between men and women. However, did Noah obey? Thanks a lot, Noah. What did he do? No, he had them exit just the way that they came in. No, God. Men are better than. There's no equality. I want me and my sons because I want to put, I want the women to know who's on top, right? Thanks a lot, Noah. The New Testament now, we're going to go through some examples of how women were also held in significant positions of leadership. So there is this, this lady named Anna. She was a widow. And you can go look in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. She is named as a prophet. Anna was a prophet, which is significant because prophet is the second highest tier of authority in the church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. I'll put it up on the screen for you. God has placed in the church first apostles, second what? Prophets. Third, teachers. In the church, the highest level of authority followed the apostles and then the followed by prophets and then by teachers. The other fivefold ministry gifts, the pastor and the evangelist are not even on this list. You can go look in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. That's what will tell you the fivefold ministry gifts. It's important to note here that biblically authority, though, please hear me what I'm saying. Everybody say authority. That does not mean control. You know what authority means? Authority means serving. The person that has the most authority means the person that has the most feet to wash. Does that make sense? So we're talking about rank as far as the number one is the apostle. You may have been taught your whole life, oh, wow, man, that, that person is an apostle. Wow, they have such great authority. Man, they can rule and reign over everybody, tell everybody what to do. Everybody bows down to them. That's not how it is in, in, in Jesus' kingdom, right? What does he say? He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve, right? Where do you find him? Washing the disciples' feet, not having them wash his feet. So the greatest authority is first, apostles. Second is prophet. And we find Anna is a prophet, but listen to this. As you continue to read on in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, it says, And greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. Here we find Junia, an apostle, a woman apostle, number one as far as authority goes. And they, he says, and they were in Christ before I was. 
Not only was she apostle, he says that she was outstanding among the apostles. Here, here, right? Hip, hip, hooray. Wow. But this is not what was taught to me when I was growing up. Maybe it was to you, and I'm so glad for you. Continue to teach that to your kids and to the next generation, but it wasn't to me. Women were, were, were told less than. Women were oppressed. They were pushed down, and men were exalted. But we don't even find that <laughs> in Scripture here when we start to really look at this. Guys, this is, this is awesome. So all of this sounds great until we get to three really, really horrifying passages that if, if you've had conversations, people have thrown these in your face when you start to talk like I've been talking about, man, or it's all equality. God loves women and men the same. God sees them, you know, equals. And then they're like, hey, 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 we need to talk about 1 Corinthians 14. We need to talk about 1 Timothy chapter 2. We need to talk about 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, let's look at those. Let's do that. Because I want to show you how you can have those conversations, right? So what is the first one? Rough, rough passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Okay. And here, let me stop for just a second. Stop, stop, stop before you start reading. Understand who is writing this, who he is writing it to, when it was being written. All right? So just think about that for a second. Who's writing this? Anybody know? Paul is writing this to who? The church in Corinth. Okay? And so this is, this is a letter that was not written to us in 2021 in America. I don't even, I'm not even going to say that again, okay? Because that's not my big point, what we're, what we're about to talk about. But just, just think about that for a second. So, in a specific letter from Paul to a specific group of people, a church, he says this, women should remain silent in the churches. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. As the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgrace for women to speak in the church. Uh-oh, uh-oh, no-oh. Man, that's harsh. That's not good, Pastor. After you just said all this great stuff, and then you want to start, man. Well, let's just jump in this. See, many scholarly articles and books have been written to explain these verses in a way that seem different from the view of women throughout the Bible. So I've just shown you, there's all of this view of, hey, women are equal. And oh, yeah, the, the, the entire view of God is men and women were both created in his image. Wrap your mind around that for a second. Wrap your mind around that. Equality. The whole is, is through the whole thing, and then all of a sudden we get to this. And then they want to explain that, well, no, this is the way that it is because this is what this means. Now, 
These two verses in context, you need to understand something very simple. These two verses are actually a quote from a letter that Paul has received from the church in Corinth. Okay? So, listen, in other words, Paul is not stating his opinion here. He was not teaching this. He is not saying this to make a point. He was quoting what the Corinthians had said to them, and he's now about to rebuke them. Stick with me because this is very simple to prove and understand. First of all, let me ask you a question. If I was to send you a long eight-page email, right, and after getting it, you decided, you know what, I'm sure Kevin has a main point to say through this whole thing, but I'm not going to read it all right now. I'm going to plan on uh, Monday, I'm going to read the first page, and then on Tuesday, I'm going to read the second page, and then on, are you going to plan on the next eight days to read one page at a time? No, that's not what we're going to do. You will find some time when you have enough time to read all eight pages because you want to know what I'm saying to you, the whole entire concept of what I'm saying. The New Testament is made up of epistles. Do you know what epistles means? It means letters. First Corinthians is one of those letters. And so what happens is most Christians do a daily devotional or a daily Bible reading. And that in that plan, they start to read just a small portion, a segment of an entire letter. And so because of the places where the chapter breaks are now inserted and there is a, uh, it's inserted by text, by translators, we can sometimes get a message that's horribly, horribly misleading or confusing. So one day you sit down and it has, you know, we have pastor's wife here this morning, Shelly, she's sitting down to her daily Bible reading, and she, it says to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, verse 35. What just happened is you only read a brief segment of a very long letter, and after doing that, you come to the conclusion that Paul doesn't like women very much. In fact, he's really, really hard on them, and because he is God's leader, and because God must have set him to write this, this type of thing and think this way, then God must be like this too. And man, this really sucks to be a Christian and God, and that's how it is. It's confusing, right? So to finish, and once you start to do that, you will not see the small segment. You start to understand what Paul meant in chapter 14. You need to start reading where? In chapter 1. This will give you the whole context. Reading it this way, you can reach in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, you'll see that it says, now for the matters that you wrote about. So you now have to recognize that the chapters that are following are Paul's responses to a letter that the Corinthians had now sent him. As we continue reading, we come to chapter 11. There Paul talks about the head covering as a part of that discussion. He said that women can prophesy in church as long as they have their heads covered. Apart from the question of the head covering, what most scholars agree that is a cultural mandate. So we're we're not going to make women wear a head covering. That was just a cultural thing that they did back in their day and their time, right? Right? Okay, they, they had a historical context for that in their day. But the point is here is that Paul does say that women can speak at church. But why is he saying over here that they can't speak at church? Does that make any sense? No, it's because he didn't say that in the first. He's just quoting from a letter. And he says, I'm about to address what you're asking about. 
because he had just said it's disgraceful for a woman to speak at church. If we'd been reading from chapter one, we recognize that it's contradictory to his message of what we just read a couple chapters later. See, because we know it is a response letter and we recognize the significance and the inconsistency between the large part of chapter 11 and two then verses in chapter 14, over here he says that women can, they can speak in church on God's behalf. Then over here he says it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. And it, it, he does it you start to understand it doesn't line up and you start to understand why it doesn't add up. At the end of chapter 14, we find another clue. If you're familiar with the New Testament and the general message of the Apostle Paul, listen to this. Verse 34 says this, women should be remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Everybody say that, as the law says. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, you'll realize that that doesn't sound like him. He was not one to say, as the law says, as the law says. Because why? He was one of the ones that was the bridge builder of getting people out of the law and into grace, out of the old covenant and into the new covenant, right? Paul is anti-law. Paul is quoted in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, is the law, he says, is the ministry that brought death. Why would he start quoting that to make a statement that doesn't make any sense? So the heavy-handed phrase, as the law says, should be a warning flag that that's not his opinion. It's something that he's quoted. This is a clear indicator that the two verses are not Paul's voice. And if you really think about it, if we refer back to the law, we will find that it does not actually say anything about women being silent in churches. They didn't even have churches back then. So this does not make sense at all because we know this is a response letter. It's easy to see these verses are a quote from the Corinthians letter now to Paul. These become now even clearer when we read the verses following the passage, and that's what I'm about to read to you, where Paul is actually rebuking the idea, and I'll read it to you right now. Verse 36, or did the word of God originate with you? I'll put it up on the screen for you. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, listen to this, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. My sisters, my sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So without any great deep study guides, by simply just reading the letter from beginning to end, you start to see that it's just a response letter and him quoting the things that they were having problems with. Here, in contrast, the statement, as the law says, Paul says, let them acknowledge what I am writing to you as the Lord's command. Not what you're saying as the law says. No, what I am writing back to you. Let women speak. Let my sisters prophesy. 
That's what he's saying. Then he ends the appeal, which is actually referred back to the verse just prior to this, the quotation from the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the God's congregation of the Lord's people. These two statements, guys, verse 33 and verse 40, are bookends to Paul's rebuke. The essence of Paul's rebuke in modern language could go something like this. This is what he was saying. Here is what you guys are saying. Paul, we want to oppress women. We want to not allow them to teach. And we want men to have authority over them. They got to be quiet, Paul. For Adam, this is this is what we have to we have to do. And then all of a sudden, he says, "Don't do that, guys. That's not the way that God wants it to be." Who do you think you are? Did you create the Word of God? No, 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 no. You're off track. Instead, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. What I'm saying, you should take this as the Lord's command. Let everyone prophesy, men and women, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, making sure everything is done in a fitting and orderly way. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense to me. It's just context. It's just reading the entire, the entire letter. The second trouble passage is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. I'll read it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But the woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with propriety. Very, very strange statement when he says, and the woman will be saved through childbearing. Isn't that a little odd that the woman will be saved through childbearing? Have you ever been to a church before and, and they start to like say, hey, come to the front if uh, you've not had children because, you know, we're going to pray that you get pregnant so that you can receive salvation. That's kind of weird, right? Well, we're going we're gonna to break this down and talk, talk about this. It should raise some question. It, it clearly contradicts the message of the gospel. To find our answer, you just got to start with doing what we did in the last one. Read the letter from start to finish. Remember, this is a letter, and if you read it all from start to finish, you'll now start to find the context of why something, all of a sudden, it starts to hurt your heart. You're like, hmm. I don't, that really doesn't go with the entire context of who God is. And I've always taught him, or been taught that he is. He's God of love. He is a God of grace. He's a God of equality. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this is pretty heavy-handed towards women. So, let's jump into this. So, when you read the entire letter, you'll see in 1 Timothy, it's comprised of an introduction Three trustworthy sayings and a conclusion. So I'll put a, a picture up on the screen for you so you can see how this is really broken down. So you see the introduction is first, uh, first Timothy 1, 1 through 14. And then he says, here is a trustworthy saying, number one, that is 1, 14 through 2, 15. And then he says it again. Here is trustworthy saying, number two. This is what I'm trying to tell you. That's chapter 3, verses 1. And then all the way through chapter 4, verse 8. And then he says, here's another trustworthy saying. 
That's chapter four through uh, nine through six, and then six through ten. And then he says, he wraps it all up. His his full ideas. Here is my conclusion. The passage we're looking at is the final part of the section of his trustworthy saying. Number one. So I'm going to read it to you. First Timothy chapter one verse fifteen. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is that saying. This is his his main idea of where that, that problem part came out of. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. He's, uh, and this is a letter from Paul to Timothy, right? And he says this, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immersed patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever. That's his point. That's the point, the main point that he's trying to make. That's the context for the statement. After making this trustworthy statement, Paul then specifically addressed Timothy in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Then he gives instruction to the entire church, okay? That's in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Afterwards, he addressed the men specifically. So now, who's he addressing? The men. It was the entire church, now just the men. And this is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. And then the women specifically in chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. Then in the last five verses of this section, Paul changed his address from plural, everyone, all men, all women, to the singular, a woman. Everybody say a woman. A woman. In other words, verse 11 through 15, he was not addressing all women but a particular woman. Only in verse 15 did he switch back to the plural when he said women will be saved through childbearing, which is a really weird statement that we're going to talk about. Commentators who have looked at this passage closely say that Timothy received this letter while he was a leader at the church in Ephesus, where Paul had previously been for two years teaching every day in the school at Tyrannus. Now, Timothy was the lead apostle there, okay? And he was running into some issues because in Ephesus, it was the home of this cult of Diana. So you got to understand some history, some context. The cult of Diana or the cult of Artemis, one of the teaching in the Diana cult was that Eve was the pinnacle of creation and that it was not Eve who was deceived, but it was Adam who was deceived. Did you hear him earlier address that, though? He addressed it. He says, no, he says it was Eve who was deceived. So he's addressing these people and what they have believed that is wrong, right? So he is at female idol worship where they didn't like men. They, were, uh, they had female idol worship. And, and so he's trying to, to uh, get their theology back to where it needed to be. And all of the women who towards all men, many of the scholars believe that there was an individual woman who was coming to the meetings, and Timothy was asking for help with this individual woman, this one lady, okay? That's why Paul says 
I do not permit a woman, this woman, this one woman, to teach or to assume authority over a man. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, it's historical context. And when you look up the Greek, the word translated as authority, you'll find even greater clarity because the Greek word is authenian. And that is, is, is an unusual word, not used very often for authority. Authenian means a violent usurping authority. And his advice is, is not anybody shouldn't have that type of authority over anybody, right? That, we don't want anybody to have a violent usurping authority. That's not the authority of the kingdom. The authority of the kingdom is somebody who washes the most feet, not a violent usurping authority. So Paul was pointing out this woman's inappropriate behavior, teaching wrong things. The problem was not with her gender, but with her actions right? And so if she was, they, they had other women teaching at that time who were not teaching that type of stuff. And there was no problem with that. And so there needed not to be any correction. It wasn't with her gender. It was with her actions. People were literally jumping in the, up in the middle of the service and trying to take over with bizarre teachings. And that's why Paul is telling, this is what you need to do for this situation with this one woman. Does that make sense? Good. All this is helpful, but it is not explained. Verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with propriety. Well, to get to the bottom of this, let me, let me show you a picture of the, you can do this search on Bible Hub. It's the interlinear, the interlinear Bible. We'll get that picture up there for you. And that, it's there right there. So you can see 1 Timothy King, the actual. So this is showing you how it's taking the actual words, and it this is a word-for-word translation. So this isn't the NIV where they start to take ideas, and then they, they'll put ideas together. And that's the translation. So here we go. Looking at this, that first word there, I won't try to say it, but she will be saved. The next one, next word, day. However, dia, through, tes, there's a, it's just a hyphen there. They're just leaving that word out. We're not even going to translate that word. Next one. Technogonosius, childbearing. Uh, well, when we actually go and take that one word that's not being translated, the word is, it's that word T with the E with the line over it, S. That actual word, the translation so if you put actually put that into the translation, it would say not, but women will be saved through childbearing, but women will be saved through the childbearing. It changes everything. The childbearing. Women will be saved through the childbearing. The childbearing. What, what is the childbearing? Well, if you go look in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Put that up on the screen for you. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. So who is the one that will crush the enemy's head? Who is that, the offspring that comes all the way from Eve that is talking there? Speaking of Jesus, correct? Right? This is a prophecy about Jesus. And so the, the childbearing here, the woman, when you start to look at verse 15, but the woman will be saved through the childbearing. It's literally talking about how when what Eve was promised about her offspring, how Jesus would crush the head of the servant, it was saying that all people would be saved through that child that would be born. Now, the scripture makes sense, right? It starts to actually come alive. That's how we were actually all saved. It's not referring to an alternative form of salvation that the women that have had childbearing, that they are the only ones that are, have salvation. That, that doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense. But So the only reason that I say that is because this is when it starts in that context. Is he's, Paul is referring to women now. He's coming back to all women. And that's the reason. He's not talking about now that one woman anymore. And in context, it all starts to make sense. And the final one that we're going to look at, and, uh, and we'll close with this, the third troubling passage is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, I'll put up on the screen for you. Husbands in the same way will be considerate, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And we like that. But my mama, my strong, <laughs> my strong, opinionated, um, awesome leader of a mom would not like this part. Like, yeah, treat me with respect, but not as the weaker partner. Oh, you're going to call me the weaker partner. Oh, so now I'm reading this for my daily devotional, and now God thinks I'm, I, there's, we're not equals anymore. I'm not equal. Okay, so he's stronger and I'm less, he's greater than, I'm less than. Okay, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you, as the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, my mom and, and women that were born in the 50s, um, you know, early 50s to late 50s that ended up growing up in this, this, um, this movement of women finding, finding their voices, finding their strength, finding, you know, burning their bras. Anybody remember hearing about this? Women's liberation, right? And, and, and there was a lot of things in the culture at that time who, I mean, I mean when you think about it, who, who were the last ones to get the right to vote, right? I mean, it's like forever women have just been suppressed and pushed down, and, and all of a sudden they find themselves, and all of a sudden they're like, I am woman, hear me roar. Did you ever, have you ever heard of any of this before? Right, and even this generation, there's a lot of young women who are finding that. They're tapping into that. And they're saying, man, you know, I don't need a man because all men do is push me down. And you know what? 
All I've heard is God is Father, and God is a man, so I don't want to have anything to do with him, so I don't want to have anything to do with religion. And then they think, you know what, though? I just, there's something in my heart that calls out to a father. There's something that calls out to have a relationship with my heavenly father. And then they give God a chance. You know, and then they find a church like, like this one, the exchange, and they're excited about coming. And, they, and then they, they say, you know what, I'm going to start reading my Bible. And then they, they read this one right here, and then they're like, you know what, I, I knew it. The weaker partner, forget this. Nobody's going to tell me that I'm weaker. Let me just give you some context here. If you look up that word there as when, you're, when we're seeing the weaker partner, it's translated as partner or vessel. Vessel is a great, a great, uh, the King James actually translates it as the weaker vessel. And if you're ta- talking about vessel, you're literally talking about to earthenware, vessels like cups and bowls and plates. It was, it was um, a way to get the point of co- it, uh, the point across that Peter was talking to them, he was comparing them to like fine china, that women are like fine china. And, and the statement that he's making is not about the weakness of women. But if you think about fine china, the quality of it. And there's a, fine, there's a razor's edge right there. You're hurt and you've been beaten down and you read that, it hurts, and you take it as the weaker vessel. But that was not the heart of what was written at all. If you take everything that we've talked about today and the equality and how uh, people have in, in leadership have put women as the highest, the highest. We're talking about an apostle. We're talking about prophets. We're talking about strong women in leadership, and then all of a sudden give them these strong positions in leadership and then call them weak. That's not the point of it. It's the quality of it, that God took time to make these quality women, and they have so much quality that, you know what, man? Treat them with respect. Treat them with honor. Treat them how God would want you to treat them. Treat them with love. Treat them with everything that's in your heart to show them grace. That is the heart of the Father. So my heart today is just to to say to all the women here that you are strong, that you are equal, that you're not less than, you never have been less than. Is equality mean same? No. We are different, and we need to embrace our differences. But equality does mean value. It does mean worth. And you, I hope, understand when you come to the exchange, all women, I hope you understand that the Father sees you as that, and he wants you to be a leader. He wants you to, to, to be seen as strength. He wants you to be seen in the community. He wants you to be seen in the home. He wants you to be, you know, to, to find 
the skills and the abilities and the talents that you have and use them in a way to produce kingdom life every day. And in the same way, men, we have to get past this this misconception that's hard to kick that we were taught for most, most of us were taught in the society that we live in that women are less than. And so we treat them as such. And we treat them and we make them feel that way. And, and I remember, you know, growing up and, and um, if we could have somebody come and play, I'll, I'm about to pray and close, but I remember growing up, guys, you know, as a, in marriage, you know, having problems early on in our marriage. And it was because I was trying to be, show her that she will submit to me because she, somehow I am better than, I am stronger than, and she needs to listen to me, and I know where, and God's going to use me to be the leader. And so when God wanted us to lead together, come on, somebody, right side by side, walking together, loving together, making decisions together, so much that I, I finally had a, um, a mentor come to me and say, you know what? If you want the house clean, she's got a job too. You better pick up a vacuum and start vacuuming. You better wash your own dang clothes. You better start folding some laundry. And I was like, <laughs> that's a woman's job. Jack, I'm not, I don't do that type of stuff. And I had this whole thing that was, was taught to me through some of these scriptures that <laughs> because a woman can't even speak in church, brother, have you never heard that before? That's Paul. I can quote Paul right now. Right now. I'm telling you right now that he says a woman should not speak, a woman shall not prophesy, and that's why men are better, and that's why a man is supposed to be a leader in the church, and a woman is supposed to be vacuuming at home. And that was my attitude. You know where that got me? Sleeping on the couch a lot. And then when I finally woke up and went, wow. This mother of my children has so much value. It's not less than, but equal to. And I made two huge decisions for our family. When she told me, no, Kevin, I think this is a horrible decision, I said, woman, submit. And because she loved me, she did. And she didn't like it. She bit her tongue and let me learn the hard way. And they were horrible decisions and took our family financially, emotionally, down a path that if I would have just listened to her and her, uh, her wisdom, if I would have just listened to her and her um, understanding of the situation instead of thinking that I'm the man and this is how I am and I'm better than you, it could have all been avoided. But you learn lessons the hard way. And once I learned those lessons, man, since then, I've never made a decision since then without coming to her and going, hey, babe, listen, this is a huge decision for our family. What do you think? 
I really, I'm thinking that we really need to do this. And she's like, Kevin, no, again, did you not learn the last time you wanted to do that same type of thing? I'm like, oh, oh yeah. The only reason I'm wanting to do that is because of self-gain and, um, you know, it's all about me. If I think about our whole family, okay, no, that makes, that makes a whole lot of sense. So once again, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. God loves you. He created you in his image. You are blessed. I want you to know whose you are and who you are and flow from that life, flow from that life of strength, flow from that life, knowing that, man, I I had strong men in my life growing up, but I also had very strong women in my life. And I'm so, so thankful. I'm so, so thankful for that. So, Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today on Mother's Day for all of our moms. We thank you for all the strong women in our lives. We thank you for a a view, a God's eye view this morning of how you see women. And our heart is that we would allow allow that view if if we've been walking a different way having a different view whether we are women or men we would allow that that view to take over this morning to start to see ourselves differently to start to see others differently because Jesus when you came to this world to establish your kingdom you said that we would be known the way that we would be known is how we love one another. And until we understand how you see them, we can't love them correctly. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for knowledge, for wisdom, for understanding. Thank you so much for the ability to produce your kingdom on this earth. I pray that every mom, every woman here this morning would know God, Father, that you love them unconditionally, that they have value, that they have worth. They have never been lower than men. I pray that they would know that they are more than enough and that, Heavenly Father, you've put everything that they need in them to lead and love and produce your kingdom on this earth. And I declare that this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.